0: I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. The economics of developing gene therapies can make it unattractive for biopharmaceutical companies to invest in bringing a gene therapy through development and to the market for ultra-rare conditions. But researchers at the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences are working to develop a set of gene therapy vectors that can be used in multiple indications and eliminate the time and cost of preclinical development for a range of conditions through its Platform Vector Gene Therapy, or PAVE-GT, program. In this fourth and final part of our gene therapy series, we spoke to P.J. Brooks, Program Director in the Office of Rare Disease Research at the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences, about the PAVE-GT program, the potential for developing a toolkit of plug-and-play vectors, and how this can alter the cost of developing gene therapies for ultra-rare and individual patients. PJ, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks, Danny. Happy to be here.
0: We're going to talk about gene therapy, the National Center for Advancing Translational Science's efforts to make it faster and less costly to advance experimental gene therapies into clinical development and its PAVE-GT program. Perhaps we can start there. What is PAVE-GT and what's it trying to accomplish?
1: Part of the the impetus for PAVE-GT has been a realization that there's actually quite a lot of single gene disorders that could be treated with gene therapy, in particular uh, AAV or gene therapy using using adeno-associated virus, or AAV. Um, This is a technology that's been used in several clinical trials. There's been two approved products. And there's a lot of really good preclinical data in mice, for example, showing that a v based gene therapy can correct single gene disorders um, it's essentially that 's what a a v does it delivers therapeutic genes specific- to specific cell types and it's it's really not disease it's not limited to specific disease it's it's sort of a general gene delivery technology and the limiting factor in many cases is not that we don't know enough about the science or we don't have the, the information we need. It often comes down to it's quite difficult to set up a clinical trial for a single disease. And from the commercial standpoint, um, companies tend to go for the more common diseases for the obvious reason that you know there's, there's a greater financial incentive there. Um, but that's a problem for some of these diseases that affect very small number of people that are not commercially viable. And, you know, yet they could be effective therapies there. They just don't happen for this this practical reason. So AAV, as we think of as a platform, it's, it's a way that you could, you know, as I said, deliver genes to specific cell types. And you could almost think of it as like kind of, uh, we've given the example of kind of like a a delivery box, like you are going to use, almost like a, you know one of these things, like FedEx or something like that. So you could just use the same box and put different stuff into it and send it to the same place. You could use the same type of AAV and put different therapeutic genes into it. And so, it, because it is a potential platform. And it's been recognized that way. The, the issue is when people do clinical trials, though, they often don't take advantage of that platform capacity and design the clinical trials. And what we're the goal of Page gt is to see if we could if we could do that, if we could uh, go forward with gene therapies for four different monogenic disorders, all of which were of no commercial interest when we started use the same platform, the same serotype, in this case, what's called AEV-9. And then and in each case, make the, the therapeutic vector in the same facility under the same methodology and processes, because our colleagues at FDA have been telling us for many years that the, the process really is the product. And if you keep the process the same, that really helps out a lot. And if we do a, that the same way for all four diseases, could we make the process better, more efficient? Might we be able to um, skip certain steps in the process of bringing these four therapies forward so that we don't have to do literally everything four times over and over again? And so we're planning to do that, what really is a translational science experiment, to see how we can uh, uh, streamline the process using these four diseases. They'll all be done at the NIH Clinical Center um, and all done with federal employees, uh, w- w- collaborators from the National Institute of uh, Neurological Disease and Stroke, NINDS, Carson Bonneman, and from the National Human Genome Research Institute, Chuck Diddy. Um, so we'll have four diseases, two neuromuscular diseases, two metabolic diseases, all treated using AAV9. And we'll go through the process and try to find out how much we can streamline it. And I think a key thing about this that we're quite excited about is, is that as we do it and as we have our communications with the FDA about streamlining, we will make those communications available to the public. And we'll also make the FDA's responses to us available to the public. So everyone can sort of learn with us about how we might be able to streamline the process of setting up clinical trials using AV. And we hope that that information will be particularly valuable to those groups, uh, often patient support groups who are trying to develop AAV gene therapy for diseases of no commercial interest. AVGT stands for Platform Vector Gene Therapy.
0: How did the project come about?
1: I think it's really a, a few years ago, we were, we were at NCATS, we were discussing, you know, we're seeing all this really great proof of concept data in mice, and then you look at, you know, how many clinical trials are opening, and it was a relatively small number. And you're thinking, you know, I just saw some really great proof of concept in mice. Why is it not going to the clinic? Why is there not a clinical trial? And looking into it you more and talking to the people who are trying to move those things forward, you realize some of these roadblocks. And, you know, w- then we started asking, well, why isn't, since, since AAV is such obviously a platform, why don't, why don't people use it that way? Why do people do these diseases one disease at a time? Why do we set up clinical trials one disease at a time? And the answer wasn't exactly clear. Um, th- there's some suggestion that some companies really, they use a platform uh, approach as well, but, but if they do, that information is proprietary and they don't share it and the FDA can't share it by law. So we thought, well, what if we try to do it and we'll make all the data public? So it kind of came that way um, through that kind of thought process and up through the channels. And then we, we, we realized that doing this through the NIH Clinical Center was a really great opportunity. We have some wonderful investigators there who, would, who have diseases that would be a great fit for this. Um, and we developed the project along with them, and it was ultimately approved by the NCATS Cures Acceleration Network uh, CAN board. So that's basically the story.
0: As you think about the challenges of developing a gene therapy and moving it from concept to human clinical trials, what are the biggest obstacles? How, How long does it take? How expensive can it be?
1: Um. In some cases, it it can take and has taken many years, um, but we'd like to think that we can reduce that time significantly now, um, because some of these have gone all the way through, not just to clinical trials, even to to approval. Um, you know, one of the big challenges is the cost of actually making the vector, uh, you know, the, the clinical vector, and that's something that, that we even we are grappling with. Um, we're doing, still doing that through a contract process. Um, but we have other activities going on in NCATS and the FDA is also looking at ways to sort of reduce the cost of making the vector. The other thing I should say that that's really impacted this is there's a great interest on the part of the FDA, uh, particularly the Center for Biologics led by Dr. Peter Marks. Um, they have a real interest and have spoken publicly about their interests in trying to streamline the process because frankly you know they have to approve each one of these these new therapies each new ind investigation new drug application and and that's taking a lot of their time and really taxing their staff so i think there's a there's converging interest both from our perspective from the patient perspective, the regulatory perspective, and even ultimately the industry perspective to, to, to do things different. And I think that's why we're, we're hopeful that we'll be able to do that.
0: What's the opportunity for PAVE-GT? Ultimately, if you're successful, how do you see it changing the path to the clinic for individualized gene therapies or gene therapies for ultra rare populations?
1: Well, I think in, in a couple of ways, one would be some of the documents that come out from our interactions with the FDA. We would like them, we're gonna make them all public and we'd like them to, to be able to be reused by others. Um, it may be we'll end up with you know, our IND submissions, for example, being made available in a way that others can sort of cut and paste. They can cut out the disease that we studied and paste in the names of the disease they wanna study and cut and paste the relevant data. And that would, you know, make their life easier, uh, hope, make the process faster, more efficient, and, you know, hopefully save on their funds. There may be other ways that they can sort of dovetail on the work that we do with PAVE-GT. Um, you know, that, that's part of the experiment. But I think at the very least, providing the regulatory documents, the, the learnings that we get about the regulatory process, and doing this all in a public way, we, we hope will benefit the whole uh the whole system all of the stakeholders but particularly those working on disease of no commercial interest at the
0: same time is there any reason to think this wouldn't have implications for gene therapies for larger populations
1: um it certainly might it's certainly that's certainly a possibility um But I think, I guess the general impression that we have is that there's already a lot of clinical trials, you know, having been started up, a lot of interest, uh, plenty of IND applications. So it seems like the roadblocks that are being faced by those developing AV-based gene therapies for more common disorders are not, you know are not the same as the ones that are being developed for disease of no commercial interest. But if, if it turns out that some of the things we do benefit, you know, more common diseases, that would be great. Would be very happy.
0: Walk me through the pilot project and and what it's doing.
1: So the pilot project is really the, the four different diseases that I had just described. Um, Right now, they're kind of at different phases. Uh, One of the ones focused on propionic acidemia is sort of the farthest ahead. We've got the most proof of concept data. And when I say we, it's really Chuck Venditti in his lab at NHGRI. Um, So they're moving ahead sooner. Um, And then we're, we're collecting the relevant data for the other organic acidemia and the two neuromuscular disorders. Um, we've also got a, a paper that will be published or that we, we just submitted and hope to be published soon that talks about uh, PAVE-GT and also a, a website up that I can provide the link to. Is the
0: idea, though, to take this all the way up to an IND?
1: All the way up, all the way up and do the clinical trials. So four clinical trials.
0: So, and
1: to to an approval? Um. Probably not to an approval. No, we just mostly want to get the clinical trials done. Okay. Because the idea would be that you know, for some of these diseases, it might be that they're really—you could imagine some diseases where you you might treat almost all the patients with the disease in the context of a clinical trial, and at that point, you know, there's no more patients, so there's no one to sell the there's no one to sell the drug to. So there's really no need to go for an approval. Um, and, by, and by the way, the whole issue of drug pricing then becomes moot because you're not selling a drug, you don't have to put a price on it. Um, and that's, I think, a possibility that, that we've, we've considered and, and talked about with the FDA. And that's, there's, there are actually examples of that. There are other, other types of um, drugs that go through the FDA and uh, are just used under sort of a continuous IND. Um, an interesting example. It's it's kind of different, but it's um, anti venoms for certain exotic snake bites, where there's just no there's no commercial interest, never marketing it. So, but people make these available, and if you happen to get bit by one of these snakes, um, you get the anti venom under an IND.
0: And how did you go about selecting the vector?
1: Um, I, I think we thought. We came to AAV9 based on data showing that it had been used in both neuromuscular disorders and metabolic disorders. Um, AAV9 is, in a sense, uh, it's a good one for us. It's, it may be not so good for other diseases because it tends to go to a lot of places in the body, including muscles, um, the heart. To some extent, it crosses a blood-brain barrier and goes into the brain. Um, but like many AAVs, a lot of it ends up going to the liver. So, and also Chuck Venditti and his colleagues had some preliminary data using AAV in their animal models, AAV9, I should say, uh, that showed it was successful. And there was other published data using AAV9 in some neuromuscular junction diseases and mouse models. So it seemed like the obvious, for a variety of reasons, it seemed like the best choice. At
0: the end of the day, is the expectation you need sort of a a toolkit of different vectors?
1: Yes, probably. And, and there's another sort of developing program that's somewhat similar to this that we're working on along with the foundation for the NIH and the FDA to do something like that, but with multiple different vector serotypes and with clinical trials done at different places. You know, that, that effort is still sort of in development, but it, it's kind of the same idea as PAVE-GT. It's just sort of an expansion of that. Um, you know, PAVE-GT, we're going to be working on four diseases, all using the same vector, all the clinical trials done at the NIH Clinical Center. Um, so, but, but you can imagine expanding the concept out to, to multiple vectors and more multi-site clinical trials and things like that.
0: You mentioned you're working on four diseases simultaneously. What was the thinking in the diseases you selected?
1: Um, we we were looking for investigators studying, you know, who were, who were each themselves studying multiple genetic diseases that were well uh, suited for gene therapy. So that would mean you'd need Optimally, you would like to have uh, an animal model. You would like to have enough, you know, obviously enough patients to do clinical trials. You'd want enough understanding of the basic biology of the disease, t- you know, to carry out the clinical trial. Uh, very importantly, you'd want to have enough information on the natural history of the disease to be able to have good clinical outcome measures. Um, and so both Chuck Venditti and Carson Bonneman. We're studying multiple diseases that fit into those that, that fit all those criteria. And, you know, in, in in discussions with them, we kind of picked two organic acidemias and t- which are metabolic diseases and two neuromuscular junction disorders. We could have chosen any number and in, in, in theory, it just happens that that for all of those reasons, those f- four diseases made the most sense.
0: Beyond that though, is there some linkage between the mechanisms of these diseases or where you would want to ideally deliver a therapeutic?
1: Um, the one linkage is that they, they're all amenable to, a, to gene therapy using AV 9 Again, because AV 9 is so sort of you know, non-specific in a way, it goes everywhere and we're taking advantage of that. Um, to treat two diseases, where we have to get to the muscle and two where you have to get to the liver. Um, in a sense, we've almost got like, like two, two sets of two diseases in terms of the clinical trial. The, the two organic acidemias are very similar and there's similar um, clinical outcome measures. And that would also be true for the two uh, neuromuscular junction disorders. Uh, and that will actually increase the efficiency of the clinical trial itself. But other than that, there, there is not a lot of linkage other than they're amenable to gene therapy by AAV9 and, and that's fine because that, that's sort of the point, right? The, the goal of this is to get the therapeutic gene into the right cells at the right time of development. And if you can do it with AAV9 for a bunch of different diseases that affect different cells and tissues, that's fine.
0: One of the issues with viral vectors is that song can develop an immune response that prevents redosing. With these therapies, there's been a one and done approach. What do you do to get the dosing right to determine in the absence of larger clinical trials, the right dose for a specific therapy?
1: Um, Yeah, those, those those are great questions. I think obviously there's a lot of learning that comes about sort of piggybacking, so to speak, on other gene therapy clinical trials for somewhat similar diseases, you know, other metabolic diseases and neuromuscular diseases um, that are ongoing that we can learn from. Some of that will come out of the the proof of concept studies in animals to get the appropriate dose ranging there. Um, And also we're anticipating developing a, you know, a single protocol for modulating the immune response that will be used for all four clinical trials. Um, but the details of that, of course, will be worked out by the, the experts, which are Karsten and Chuck, the actual clinicians who, who will be doing this. Um, but fortunately, there is a lot of other data that we can draw on, including other, other gene therapy trials at the NIH.
0: There's a lot of hope, as you know, in the, in the rare disease community around individualized therapies or so-called N-of-1 therapies for individuals or or small rare disease populations. What's the potential for getting to a plug-and-play type model where you can select an appropriate vector and and insert a needed gene and and be good to go?
1: I think there's a lot of potential. I think that's the the basic idea of PAVE-GT and some of these other efforts. Um, you know I, I always have a bit of a response when people talk about n of one because I think the real goal is to try to look for and, and focus on the the therapeutic commonalities so it really isn 't an n of one it's it's a it's a whole it 's a lot of Ns of one but it's or, or another way to say it is to is to change the way you think about what it, you know what is a disease um, and so a monogenic disease is you, you know you're missing a a gene in some specific cell type. And if you can put in a working copy of that gene, in that specific cell type, you should have a therapeutic effect. So to think of it like that in, in the, you know, in grouping the different diseases based on the underlying mechanism of the underlying therapeutic approach, I think is the way to do it. And, you know, wherever possible, let's see if we can do that. And I do think there are, um, you know, regulatory pathways that are being envisioned, and hopefully we'll be able to contribute to that. That can make this possible. Scientifically, I think it makes sense, and that's the thing that I, you know, take the most heart at, at the at the scientific level. So I think it's a matter of sort of testing out some of these possibilities. And the FDA has expressed interest in this. I I do think there's there's some certainly some hope for doing that. Also realizing, of course, that these things do take time. And, you know, we've even seen recently, there have been some pretty serious safety issues with AAV that we'd not seen before and um, realizing that, you know, things aren't always as simple as we imagine them to be. That's why we have to go and do the, do the experiment and, and, you know, see how it works out. And like I said, this really is a translational science experiment. P.J. Brooks,
0: Program Director in the Office of Rare Disease Research at the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences. P.J., thanks so much for your time today.
1: Thanks very much, Danny. It was a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at Danny at Levine Media Group.com.